Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 23, Science Fiction Movies. Brian here, along with Yancey Eaton, as always, is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Yancey, another great topic tonight, as always, but what's going on, man? What's going on in your world? Um, I just want to apologize in advance that uh, there are a bunch of planes and police helicopters flying over the shed that I record the podcast in, uh, so just be wary of that if you guys hear anything. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. What have you um, done? What have you done? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. It's quite weird i actually need to invest in the ac unit out here it's it's like stiflingly hot inside oh, come the on. shed <laughs> oh come on give me a break talk about it's too hot i mean you know what i did about an hour before i came in to do the podcast i was i out, guess i was out, i had to get the snowblower out and clean my driveway out for the second time today so oh, lovely don't talk to me about it being too hot i tell you i'm sure oh. you i'm sure you did the elderly neighbors that live next to you as well because you're uh, a nice guy like yeah, that yeah well, sometimes i do that so yeah. You know, it's just a nice thing to do. It's we're Canadian. We're all nice. We blow each other's driveways up. This is what we do. It's not just me. It's just a Canadian thing, right? So yep. anyway, so you ready to get uh, jump right into things this week? It's one of our favorite topics of all time, I'm sure. So you ready to get started? Yep, let's do this, man. Okay, let's here we go. I don't want to get a whole bunch of hate mail and stuff. I think Jaws is one of the greatest movies ever made. Have you seen it, Chris? It was awesome. And I literally lost it. Night of the Living Dead. That movie literally terrified me. People were running out of the theater. Wait, what? See, I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. Yes, word. Okay, so obviously we are talking about science fiction movies. I love them, you love them. I guess, first of all, I guess should we define science fiction? Do we need to go there, Yancey? I don't know, because, like, I mean, generally speaking, a lot of people tend to think science fiction is space movies, but it's not always the case. At least, that's not mm-hmm. what I've always classified it anyway. Uh, what about you? What's your take on what, what constitutes science fiction? I did think you were going to touch on this tonight, and uh, because there were a couple of films that you could technically, I guess, call science fiction, but I'm like you. Like, when I say science fiction, I'm thinking of you know, you know, futuristics, you know, space movies, and, and and that type of thing. That's that's what I think of whenever I hear sci-fi. But um, like, I would I wouldn't consider Donnie Darko a sci-fi film. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but I mean, other people do. But I mean, to each his own, I guess. But yeah, I'm talking about like, you know, intergalactic, you know, space wars and sh- and you know stuff like that. Well, I guess I understand a little bit. Um, like for me, I think I, I usually expand it a little bit more than that. I mean, I do think you know, obviously, science uh, science fiction movies are about space. You know, for for the most part. But I do think I'm going to expand it a little bit because at least one of my movies on my list, like one for sure, is not necessarily um, a space movie. You know, so it should be kind of interesting. But uh, you know, yeah. hey, we're back to doing lists again. Everybody likes those. We're going to do our top five science fiction movies of all time. We'll start with the millennial. What has the millennial got for us? With your number five, kick us off. Uh, number five is a classic. Um, I know you've obviously seen this film, as many of the listeners have, um, and it's uh, Alien with Sigourney Weaver. Oh, it is obviously a classic film, uh, one of the best films ever made of all time. Um, I was very late to the game on this one. I never watched it as a child. I didn't watch it as a teenager. I didn't watch it in my early 20s. Uh, up until a few years ago, I had never seen it. I had always heard you know people talking about it and stuff like that, just saying that it was you know, culturally relevant and stuff like that, but... Never actually got around to uh, to watching it. Um, of course, a lot of people know Ridley Scott. He's like 
you know, the man, he has his hands in all these different films and stuff like that that are just iconic and insanely popular and, you know, uh, just as prevalent today as they were 30, 40 years ago, like all these huge blockbuster films. Um, so he was the director of this film. It was written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, or Shusett? I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but um, uh, seriously, one of the best science fiction films I've ever seen. Obviously, it's about a, uh, I guess you'd call it like a commercial shipper, a, a commercial ship or whatever, like they, they transport cargo to and from different places, and they get a distress signal from like some moon on the way back to Earth, and uh, you know they end up landing, and you know some of the, the crew goes out, and you know, long story short, there's obviously this alien on the ship, and what I love about it is it's it's it just plays off like simple, like not like gotcha, like in your face horror, but just like the fear of like the unknown and like knowing that something's in a room with you. And I don't know if you've seen like the the uh, the the trailer for the new alien movie that's coming out, but I mean it looks just as good as this. But like they're they're playing on like the same tropes that they always use. And I, I say tropes, but it's not a bad thing. But like just this perfect build up to like, you don't actually see a ton of the alien throughout most of the film, but it just slowly, slowly builds and stuff like that. Just a fantastic ending. All the actors in this are just, you know, absolutely fantastic. Dallas and Ripley and Lambert and Kane. I mean, it's, it's just a phenomenal film. It's number five for me. I feel like it should be higher, but there's just some films that I've watched so much more. And I've, you know, I've always come back to multiple times, so I'm going to put those a little bit higher, but Alien is number five for me. Well, I like it. I think it's a good one. And I'm also going to go with a Ridley Scott movie for my number five, but it's one that came out three years later in 1982, and that's Blade Runner. Um, I really like this movie a lot. And it's funny because I remember at the time going in to see the movie, I didn't think I was going to like it that much because you've got uh, you got Harrison Ford, first of all, you know, fresh off of being Han Solo, one of the most iconic, you know, movie characters of all time, let alone in science fiction. And then all of a sudden in 1981, he comes out with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and he plays another iconic character. And, and so now after doing Han Solo, it's kind of like, okay, he's typecast. But then when he came out with Raiders, you're like, oh man, this guy's versatile. He can be a different kind of hero. And then for him, for them to pick uh, Harrison Ford to play the, the the lead role in this movie was very interesting because it doesn't seem like he'd be the, your first choice for it, but he was phenomenal. So it's it's obviously it's based on Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep," and it is phenomenal. You've you know you've seen it, everyone's seen it. They all know what it's all about. You know, there's these four replicants that kind of you know they escape, they steal the spacecraft, and then they decide to come back to Earth and try and find the guy that, that made them. And um, and then Harrison Ford's character is obviously he has to hunt them down, and then he has to. To try and kill the and they're they're replicants right and then you know the whole mystery you know with he falls in love with Sean Young's character and then she's a replicant and then even is he a replicant like all this it's just it's really neat but one of the things I think I like the most <clears throat> about Blade Runner was you know we've said we've talked about this on the podcast you know quite a few times about how science fiction films used to always have a view of the future that was very very sort of you know cold and, and and shiny and clean and all that kind of stuff and Blade Runner comes along and basically says no no man it's not like that at all it's like a dystopian future it's like you know it's dirty and there's like pollution and this is what the earth has become and but there's still a lot of like you know like there's advertisements everywhere these neon lights and signs and, and, and it's overpopulated and so I mean I just thought it was I thought it was really good. And I remember when it first came out, it wasn't a, a huge hit, but it's, you know, built into like a massive cult film ever since. But I really like it a lot. And, and, and I would suggest anyone to go back and watch it again. So that's, that's my number five, Blade Runner. 
All right, so number five, or I'm sorry, number four for me is actually Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of knew we'd have a little bit of overlap here just because, um, you know, unlike other genres, like there are like a, there's like a pantheon of films that are like at the very top of like yeah. almost any sci-fi nerds, you know, like their canon of, of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. So like, I kind of expected this. I'm not going to go too much more in depth with this, but um, it's, it, it is unusual, like, you know, to see Blade Runner because this was basically like their adaptation of what the future was going to look like, but it's based in the year 2019, which obviously it's almost 2017 now, and look how completely different it is. You know what I mean? Like we're nowhere near the type of, you know, uh, you know these this advanced level of artificial intelligence where you know humans are almost completely discernible, you know, from androids and stuff like that living among us and just like the cityscapes and stuff that they showed i don't know have um, you seen an episode of the Kar- kardashians well, we're almost there <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 damn near there we're yeah. close. <laughs> yep. it's only two um, years. I, I, you were talking about how like the, you know like the, the grunge and stuff like that like the cityscapes and like the neon lights and stuff like that um i think one of the most underrated aspects of this film though is how like weirdly beautiful it is just from like a cinematography standpoint this is just I mean, it's a stunning film. It's one of those things where, like, I remember watching it for the first time on Netflix, and I was literally taking, I was watching it on my Mac and my laptop, and I was just taking screenshot after screenshot after screenshot, just because, like, you were seeing all these images of, like, the cityscapes and stuff like that, and, like, you know, just, like, really, really crazy, crazy lighting and stuff that, like, you really hadn't seen a whole lot of in, in, in the 80s at all, so, like... I mean, it's just such a beautiful film. I said I wouldn't talk too long about it, and I'm rambling, but uh, Blade Runner, easily my number four. Should have been a little bit higher, probably, but, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm reserving the top couple of ones for movies that I've watched, you know, through my entire childhood and stuff, so that's my number four. But no, I agree. Like, especially the look of the film was so good, and, you know, n- not to be overstated, the it was nominated for two Oscars, you know, it was nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects, so, I mean, you know... Um, you know, it was recognized as well for the way it looks. So definitely, I agree with you. It was it was a good looking movie. Okay, my number four. Um, oh, and this this director is going to show up a few times on this list. By the way, before I get into even my number four, I should mention I did want to mention two sort of honorable mentions that that didn't make the list, and both of them are really really old. Just to kind of, I just want to make sure you know to kind of get a little bit of a plug in for some of the older, like old old older movies that are out there. Uh, one's from twenty seven, and that's Metropolis. And one's from 1933, and that's King Kong. Those are two movies that I just think are phenomenal science fiction mm-hmm. movies, and and both deserve a major, major plug. And you know, a little while ago, I went back and watched King Kong. I was um, my kid was watching uh, King Kong from um, what was it, 2004, 2005, when it came out, um, and. Like with Jack Black, that film? Yeah, the one with Jack Black, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I, I felt it important to go back and watch the one from 33, and I went back and watched it. Man, I'm telling you what, it still holds up. It's still, it, That is absolute phenomenal movie making right there. Like, it's just phenomenal, phenomenal movie making. That's what movies are all about, right there, 1933 King Kong. But anyway, uh, number four. So again, this director, uh, as I mentioned briefly there, this director is going to show up a couple more times on my list because he's one of the best of all time, if not the greatest director that ever lived. And 1977, he came out with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's obviously Steven Spielberg's (laughs) film. Um, I want to mention this, and the reason why that this movie is so so high on on my list and it's so special to me is that up until this point for the most part okay up until this point of 1977 movies that involved aliens the aliens were always bad like it, they were the, mm-hmm. they were the bad guys they were coming down to you know kill us war of the worlds you know they're they're coming to get us it's you know all these terrible things aliens are like very very bad and all of a sudden spielberg comes along in 77 and says hey you know what i got an idea what if they're friendly 
You know, what What if what if maybe they're friendly and it's the people that are actually bad? You know what I mean? Like it kind of flipped things on its head a little bit. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was a really interesting theme um, to explore. And he did it in incredible, incredible ways. There's so many parts of the movie that are iconic. Richard Dreyfuss, one of the greatest actors of his generation, um, with the obsession of, of, of the, the mashed potatoes and, you know, and the Devil's Mountain and all that stuff. It's just, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. There's so much going on in the movie and really you don't see a whole lot, like, for, you know, until the end, you know. So up until then, you don't, you don't see a whole lot visually about, you know, aliens and stuff until the very, very end. And then you find out, hey, uh, these things are friendly. And it's pretty incredible. There's a couple different versions out there. If you can get the director's cut, that's the best of them. But uh, my number four, 1977, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yonder, your number three. Do you have a favorite scene from that movie? Um, oh, boy, that's a great question. And there's a couple beauties. Like I say, to me, I've always been a humongous Dreyfus fan. I've been a humongous Dreyfus fan. So I think when he is obsessed with Devil's Mountain... And he's making it out of the mashed potatoes. And then when he goes ahead and then make, builds it in, and his wife, played by the, the great, yeah. <laughs> great Terry Gar, comes home. And he's built this whole thing out of dirt and everything from the backyard in the living room. Like, it's just like, what is going on here? <laughs> it is here? so It is wild. It it's is wild. wild. So that, I bet I'd probably say that would be one of them. But uh, And the other thing, too, is like, I just oh, there's so many interesting things about the movie. But uh, it would take me forever to go into it. So anyway, that, I'll, I'll go with that one as my favorite one. So uh, on to your number three, my friend. Uh, number three for me is uh, another old film. It's a Stanley Kubrick film, and it's 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, this isn't the type of movie that has a ton of rewatchability. I don't say that as like a, you know, as like I'm, you know, degrading the film or you know that I don't like it. Um, it's one of those films where like you kind of have to like take time to digest it and then maybe think about it for a while, and then you know every couple of years probably revisit it. But it's not like a. Uh, Hey, let's casually watch a movie on a Saturday and have a couple is beers. It, it's kind of like a I need to like sit down and like really pay attention to this. Is is it because like for me, I agree with you a hundred percent on your take on that movie. And 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 for me, and maybe you agree with me, I don't know. Is it because it's it's less entertainment and it's more art? I think that's a fair. That that, that's fair. That is fair. Yes. And that's and probably so why you can't left yeah. up for interpretation yeah. of it too. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a type of film where, like I said, I. I can't imagine watching this film with, you know, like a group of people or like my friends or, you know, my, my mom and dad or something. It's just kind of one of those films where it's like you watch it by yourself and then you think about it and reflect on it and then you come back and then you can kind of like bounce ideas off of people because it is very open for interpretation. Like you said, this is this is literally, you know, a, I'm not sure exactly how long the film is, maybe two hours or something, but it's it's it's, it's an art piece. The entire thing is. Um, obviously, it's, it's basically like a, a story of like the history of mankind. I mean, it starts as like, you know, primitive apes and stuff like that. I believe I talked about this, uh, you know, a couple of shows ago, maybe one of our first few shows, we talked about this a little bit, but, um, just one of the most fantastic sci-fi films ever made. Um, obviously, I mean, it, it, like I said, starts at like the very beginning of mankind, like the dawning of, of, of the human race. And it goes all the way, you know, in, in, into the future. I'm not sure exactly what year, but, um, basically shows like, you know, uh, the, the dystopian view of society about how like man interacts with machine and then, you know, artificial intelligence and stuff like that has this downside and you know all these filmmakers for years like you were talking about with close encounters of third kind like it was weird to see aliens like actually portrayed in a positive light like there is like a recurring theme in like a vast majority of sci-fi films that um all artificial intelligence is like inevitably going to you know cause the downfall of like human race and this film like perfectly plays into that stereotype um i mean one of my favorite films like i said not something you can watch 
you know, <laughs> every other day. It's not one of those types of movies and stuff. But, it, I mean, it really gets you thinking. It was one of the first films I watched. I actually watched this in school, believe it or not. They made us, like, skip through some of the parts, whatever. But um, I think I watched this in, like, ninth grade over, like, three or four class periods. And uh, it was just a phenomenal film that always stuck with me. So, like, one of the classics, obviously, Kubrick is just, like, legendary. So, I mean, if you can ever go back and watch everything that he has in his catalog, they're all just so, like, weird, and there's different interpretations, and you can kind of... A lot of different people can get a lot of different stuff out of it. So that's my number three for me. Okay, so um, my number three, I'm going to veer off the the space thing for a second here. And like I say, I'm going to take a little bit of a different interpretation of science fiction, and that is the fact that it's it's obviously fiction with with, with out, sort of outlandish, you know, sort of science things involved in it. Like, what if you use science this way or use science that way and that's uh, again Spielberg's uh, film from 1993 and that's Jurassic Park what like just when you you think about a concept when you think about science and fiction what better marriage of the two concepts than hey I have an idea we found a mosquito that was uh, fossilized inside amber and we drilled into it and we took the blood out of it because it bit a dinosaur and we got the dinosaur's DNA and we recreated dinosaurs that to me is science fiction personified and it's I mentioned King Kong earlier this movie to me is like King Kong to the max it is phenomenal it's the idea of seeing dinosaurs alive like I say to me it's 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 every kid's dream and, and if you want to go to a movie and and, in, and experience science fiction especially in the in the sense that it kind of takes you away to a different world that could not really exist it's Jurassic Park so for me and for all those reasons it's number three on my list what do you think of that? I did. I did not expect you to go there with that. To be yeah. completely honest with yeah. you, um, I will say this: a lot of props to Jurassic Park for proliferating just really bad, like junk science, <laughs> for like teaching like a you know a vast majority of the population that like something like that is actually possible. But I mean, I'm not gonna lie; it's one of my favorite films of all time. I remember having a Super Nintendo game, you know, Jurassic Park for you know my SNES and stuff, and it was. You know, one of the best games I think I've ever played my entire life, but that has nothing to do with the movie. But I love Jurassic Park. I actually saw it in the drive-in. My parents took all four of us kids, and it, like, rained, like, horribly the entire time, so we could barely see anything. You know, you remember, like, the drive-ins, Chris, where, like, you had to, like, turn it to, like, the local AM station, and, like, you would get the sound through your car stereo. Like, dude, 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 dude. I remember going to the drive-in when they didn't even have to use your radio. You had to use this speaker that was attached to a pole, and you took it off, and you hung it on the really? inside of your window, and you rolled your window up. Oh, wow, yeah, you're you're really living a field school life. Yeah, man, I'm old. What can I say? <laughs> I don't think we have anything like that in, you know, in Florida. I mean, maybe we do, but nothing like that in my area anymore. And, like, it's kind of weird, like, little things like that that you think about, like, wow, I just caught the tail end of that as a child. You know, if I were born a few years later, I probably never would have got to experience that at all. So that's kind of cool, like, neat little memory. But I love Jurassic Park. I'm not going to hate on that at all. I'm just – it's really interesting that you went there. Like you said, you made that connection as, like, a science fiction film, which it very much is. But, like, you know, some people like to – parse the two out you know like space sci-fi and then everything else but anyways uh number two for me uh is a a recent addition to like my favorite movies of all time it's definitely in the top 10 for me i'm not sure exactly how it stacks up but i just had to mention it because uh over the last couple of years i've watched this film i watched it in theaters i think four or five times i watched it in imax i watched it in the regular version um i'm obsessed with this film and just kind of like everything that it, it makes you think about um and that's interstellar uh it was directed by christopher nolan um, I think it was actually written by him, too. Yeah, him and his brother, Christopher Nolan and uh, Jonathan Nolan. Obviously, um, a lot a recurring theme with a lot of their films, like uh, The Prestige, which we talked about last week, uh, like with Inception, um, even with like Westworld, which his brother wrote, which I, I just finished watching season one. It's amazing, by the way. Um, 
we got to talk about that sometime. You have to watch it. But anyways, one of the recurring uh, themes of of all the work that they do is basically like time and perception and how they manipulate time and like they jump back and forth and you know how different people can you know perceive things differently based on you know certain certain situations and, and different scenarios and stuff and they're constantly back and forth and, and foreshadowing with interstellar obviously like gotta say obviously it's like a verbal crutch so much because you gotta you have to break the habit i have to like take a shot or something every time i say it um <laughs> But basically, it's it's like in the near future, and the world, the environment is basically collapsing. You know, crops are no longer growing. Uh, there's all kinds of problems going on, and uh, they are searching for like a new planet to migrate the human race to. Um, it's really simple premise, um, but the way he manipulates, like I said, time, basically how like different celestial bodies, super far away, depending on their size and the effect that gravity has on you, it basically like bends time it's very much like inception where like a dream within a dream or like you know five minutes on another planet depending on home depending on how gravity you know interacts with you basically could be a thousand years you know what i mean it's 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 a really really crazy premise that you know it it touches on wormholes and black holes and like i said you know quantum theory and stuff you know one of my little like side things that i really enjoy a lot i don't talk about it too much you know on facebook or twitter or anything like that because it's not for everybody but i love quantum physics i love astronomy i love all these things and um, it's just one of the most amazing, you know, visually captivating films that I've, I've ever seen. You know, their their rendition of like a black hole, if you go back and watch the film, or even YouTube, and I'm sure they have clips of it, but like how they interpreted like a black hole, a giant black hole is just stunning. And like I said, I watched this once, uh, I went by myself. This is like the last movie I've seen by myself. I don't normally go, but um, I, I watched it by myself. It was so incredible that I literally went back the next day, and then like two days later I went back. Uh, this movie's just stay with me, and uh, you know, I, I, I just love it so much. So I, I can't recommend this enough. It didn't do nearly as good in theaters as I would have expected a film like this to do it. I mean, it didn't do bad, but I think this is one of those things within you know 10 to 15 years, this will become like a, a legitimate classic where people will be talking about this as like one of the top 10 sci-fi films of all time. So Interstellar is my number two. Okay, so uh, go, keeping my run of Steven Spielberg movies, I'm going to keep another one for number two. So in 1982, um, so, th so Drew Barrymore, as you know, so Drew Barrymore, she was a child actress, right? And she's from like Hollywood royalty from the, the Barrymores. So in 1980, she was in a movie called Altered States. She was four years old. Two years later, um, Spielberg, uh, she, she auditions for a Spielberg movie in 1982, which he was working on, which everyone in Hollywood knew was going to be the huge blockbuster of the year. And it was a movie about ghosts called Poltergeist. And, you know, everybody, would, again, like I say, knew this was going to be the big movie. Drew Barrymore, um, she came out and she auditioned for it. And he said to her, you're not quite right for this part. But you know what? I'm also working on another movie on the side. And it's a small, low-budget movie. It's a personal film. It's more of a personal story. And I, I think that you're going to be perfect for that. So he cast her in my number two science fiction movie of all time. And that's E.T., that came out in 82 um, was such a hit when it came out that it passed Star Wars as the highest grossing film of all time. Um, Did it really? Yep. It, it actually it held oh. it, it held the um, it held the record for the all, all time greatest uh, box office until uh, it was beaten in 93 by Jurassic Park. So it was it hung on for the whole 80s is the most, you know, the highest grossing movie of that decade. So pretty incredible movie. I mean, there's not much I can't really say much about it. Everybody knows lots about it. Um, it's just a phenomenal, you know, like I say, a personal story. It's a great story. And, and I like the fact that it builds on um, the themes that he came up with in 77's Close Encounters. Again, like I mentioned before, the idea that aliens could be friendly. Like, what if they were friendly and the people were the bad guys? And, you know, if 
if if nothing else too, it, it probably helped definitely helped give birth uh, to Stranger Things because when you watch Stranger Things, as I did, oh, for sure, watch that. And my my wife said that the whole time. I, I don't even think she noticed it because because she's a little younger than, than me, so she doesn't like you know old movies the way I do. Uh, but the funny thing was is then after we watched Stranger Things, we watched all the episodes, and then she took my son to there was like a, a thing here in town. They were they were doing like a, a kids thing where they were going to show ET. So she took my son to go see ED. Very cool. And, Very cool. And she texts me through the movie and she sends me a text and she's like, oh my God, this is just like Stranger Things. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yep, <laughs> exactly. Stranger Things, like really, it was, it, the whole movie was like an homage to to that kind of film for, and especially right around that time. So for me, for all the reasons I mentioned, E.T. is my number two science fiction movie of all time. I love it. Um, I kind of feel bad for not mentioning E.T., but at least we don't have as much overlap. Uh, E.T.'s awesome obviously Uh, really quickly we usually go into these things every week and we say there's gonna be a lot of overlap and then there never is yeah true we had one we did have one yep 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 uh so my number two right i'm on number two correct no number one i'm already on number one you're on number Uh, one what's your number one of all time let me just go ahead and give a couple honorable mentions for sure yeah ex machina came out in 2015 that is a phenomenal film i hope you you watched it um, I didn't know what to do with the Star Wars films because we talk about them literally every single week. So um, I just want to give my respects to Star Wars. It is sci-fi, obviously, but um, I'm going to leave that for another show. I'm sure we'll talk about them again, but I don't want to make people feel like we're like dissing Star Wars or anything like that. Um, just wanted to throw them out there. I wanted to throw out Gravity. Uh, I don't know if you would call Mad Max science fiction. I definitely do, but oh, yeah. I love Mad Max Fury Road. Um and that's basically it. I'm wasting too much time. Uh, my number one, uh, to no surprise, I mention this all the time, Everybody take a shot. It's The Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne. It came out in 1999. It was the craziest film I ever saw in my entire life. It's one that has stuck with me all the time. And as you get older in your 20s and you're you're trying to figure out your place in the world and you're figuring things out and you know you're re, you're rechallenging everything that you've been taught your entire life and you know you're taking all this information and you're, you're like I said you're just trying to find your way around the world and. You see somebody uh, as as successful and rich and famous and and respected as Elon Musk, basically talking about simulation theory, basically saying that it's more likely that we are living in a simulation than we are not, <laughs> and it really messes with you. And like those nights that you can't sleep, you just like lay up and think, you know, all these different scenarios where we really could be living in a simulation. It sounds so far fetched, but um, I mean, there are just endless endless websites and books and theses and you know, just all these all these really, really in-depth scientists talking about this stuff, which just makes my head rattle all the more. But um, The Matrix is obviously just a fantastic science fiction film. I mean, the, the premise itself was something that we've never really seen prior to that. It was a totally original idea that since then, you know, a lot of different films and franchises have kind of, like, you know, taken the reins and ran with it. Um, I would love... It, it's one of those things where, like, I wish almost that the film weren't released in 1999... And nobody kind of like stole that idea and like it was pushed out today. So we could have had that same storyline and that same like shock and awe when we watched it. But with like today's graphics, I still think the graphics are very good in that. And, you know, like the green glow of like, you know, the the overall world and stuff like that and glitches in the Matrix and seeing deja vu and how that's all explained. It's just a perfect film. But, um, uh, man, I just I don't know what else to say. I've watched this film a thousand times. I wore out the DVD. I bought another DVD. I wore that out. I bought the Blu-ray. Um, I, 
I, I don't say it will always be my favorite film, but for the last 15 years it has been. So it's it's, it's my number one is The Matrix. Okay, so I'm going to go where you said uh, you mentioned, and that's going to be with the Star Wars, or the original trilogy. There's no question that's there. But I'm going to take it a step further because I'm, okay. I'm going to kind of lump it all together and say the original trilogy belongs in number one. But I'll We take like a, Star Wars. <laughs> I, I like Star Wars a lot. No twist about it. We do. Uh, uh, but, but I'm going to take it a step further because I'm going to say, actually, even though of those movies, and I've said before, Star Wars is my favorite. Um, but The Empire Strikes Back, I think, is the greatest science fiction film of all time. Like, it is off the charts. If you want to talk about science fiction, what more can you get than a planet that's entirely covered in snow and a city that's in the clouds and tauntauns and at-ats? It's at-ats, too, by the way, not at yeah. at And, you know, like, like Han Solo frozen in carbonite and, like, all these crazy things swamp planet and all this stuff that's going on and it is just off the charts it is science fiction to the nth degree like it's just everywhere you look at that movie it's it's science fiction to the max and it's so funny because really when when lucas came up with star wars uh both he and a lot of other people too tended to think that star wars wasn't science fiction as crazy as that sounds they they kind of more uh, called it um space fantasy you know, space fantasy, space, yeah. space opera, yeah, yeah, space opera. You know, because it was more like it was a story, right, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but you know, little did he know that the sequel, you know, that he didn't direct, it was Irvin Kershner, obviously. But you know, the, the sequel to the movie would become the greatest science fiction film ever made, that probably ever will be made. And and, that, and I'm going with The Empire Strikes Back as my number one science fiction movie of all time. So there we have it. There's our top five, and very little overlap, even though we predicted that there might be some. <laughs> That's it goes. Anyway, uh, you want to have some fun with Yancey? Let's do it, man. Okay, here we go. I'll start you off with a real easy one this week, okay? Mm-hmm. And I do consider this to be science fiction again because it involves time travel. So it's Back to the Future, my friend. In Back to the Future, Marty McFly, he used Doc Brown's time machine to go back to the year 1955. The time machine was in the form of what make of automobile? A DeLorean. Very good, yeah. Start you off with an easy one, right? So we, I, I saw I saw the original DeLorean in a museum in Indiana with my family like years and years ago, and they said it was the only car in that museum that was worth less that day than it was whenever it was first produced. Isn't that wild? Oh, wow. Really worth less. But wow, anyways. Bigger. Um, yeah, because it was so expensive. Um, I saw it at, at Fan Expo this past year, and uh, Christopher Lloyd was there, and you could get a picture taken with him in the DeLorean. So um, anyway, it was pretty cool. Okay, so I mentioned the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy, of course. Not, none of that prequel crap ain't allowed, is allowed anywhere near here. So uh, Darth Vader was played by English actor David Prowse. But Yancey, very easy one. Which actor provided his voice? Who, Darth Vader's? Yeah. James Earl Jones. Very good. Easy one, okay? You mentioned two, you mentioned 2001: A Space Odyssey, so you should very easily be able to get this one. What's the name of the computer that kills most Hal. of the crew? Very good. Well, how can you expand, expand it, expand that? Is it nine thousand? Yes, 3, it is. It's Hal nine thousand. Okay. Okay. So th- there's this schlocky B movie director from the 1950s. He directed such classics as Glenn or Glenda and Plan Nine from Outer Space. Can you name the director? Did you say schlocky? Yeah, he's a schlocky B movie director. What? <laughs> That's a word? Yeah, I don't know. I made it up. I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> I'm using it. Um, man, I don't know, Chris. What is it? It's. I'll give you a hint. They made a movie about him in 1999, starring Johnny Depp. Uh, the movie's title was the director's name. I don't know. Ed Wood. Ed Wood was the director. Okay. okay. Uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. By the way, gotta watch it. 
you gotta watch it out there the aliens are over there and out there or oh, the dialogue and it's just so crazy oh it's like the worst movie ever made hands down so Bella Lugosi <laughs> is in the movie okay because by this point when they came out with the movie Bella Lugosi was like a washed up actor so they they you know were able to lure him to star in this stupid B movie that they were making and he died halfway through the production so you know what they did they got another actor who was about a foot taller than him walk around with a cape over his face so you could hit his face so you couldn't see that it wasn't Bella Lugosi seriously <laughs> not even kidding yep oh, oh man it was God. the worst movie ever made um, <laughs> okay the Terminator films I think that's science fiction because you know you got these cybernetic organisms uh, called Terminators yep. right and they got to travel back that would qualify yes yep. correct. so, so the, the, the Terminator has to go back in time to kill a woman and her son what was the last name of the mother-son pair uh, Connor. Yes. Okay. And uh, just a last easy one in Blade Runner. What's the ter- term that's given to the androids in the movie? Oh, um. Oh, oh my God! I just was reading this. Yeah, you know, and I just mentioned it earlier in the podcast too. So. Um. Damn it, Chris! Why do you do this to me? <laughs> it's replicants. But, replicants. Oh, yeah, yes, fugitives oh, and anyway. replicants. Oh, yep. That's all good. But anyway, as I mentioned, you know, it's science fiction, man. We love it. We uh, love lots to do with it, and uh, it's funny. I think we we try to go a single week without mentioning Star Wars. It's never going to happen, right? So that's the way it is. Hey, if you want to reach reach out to us on Twitter, if you agree or disagree with any of our lists, we hope that you do agree or disagree for that matter. Um, you can always get us on Twitter at Yancey Eaton or at C McBrien. Just remember, McBrien is I E N. Or you can always shoot us an email, Chris or Yancey at Pop goes your world.com this is chris mcbrien saying thanks for listening to pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations thank you for listening to the pop goes your world podcast continue the conversation on twitter at c mcbrien or at yancey eaton please consider leaving a review for the podcast on itunes or wherever you download and listen to the show 